And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to Spin Rank, the Athletics Toronto Blue Jays podcast. My name is Drew Fairservice. We're here talking about your maddening, inconsistently consistent Toronto Blue Jays, swept by the Angels after an unbelievable road trip. What on earth is going on? And that's what we do here at Spin Rate. We make sense of all that. We do the show twice a week. You should subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to me and Blue Jays reporter, journalist, writer, Caitlin McGrath, as well as t- listening to me. And former Blue Jays All-Star Ricky Romero, twice a week you do the show. As I mentioned, Caitlin McGrath covers the team for the for the Athletic, where you should subscribe at theathletic.com slash spin rate. Get everything she writes about the team. And she joins me today, as it is a Monday, to make sense of what on earth happened this weekend, to talk about the big matchup, to talk about the big celebration as well this weekend that was has somewhat been overshadowed by a terrible performance. Caitlin, how the heck are you? I'm good. I'm happy to be home. I feel like I was on a pretty long road trip through New York and Boston, which was really fun. I had a good time. It was a good road trip to cover from the Blue Jays' point of view. And you really thought, hmm, here's the point of the season when they're just going to get rolling. They're going to take this precious momentum, real or not, back to Toronto with them. And they are going to get on a roll. The schedule is in their favor. They are playing three teams that are below 500, non-contending teams, beginning with the Angels, who are a bad team. And yes, they'll have to deal with Shohei Otani for one of those games, but he's just one guy. These Blue Jays, they can get it done. And it was quite the opposite, actually. Whatever momentum they had from that road trip, from those dramatic games in Boston, is gone. That's been a race. They're going to have to start a new winning run here. I get back on track. But, I mean, that's just basically summing it up. It's hard to know. (laughs) I mean, it's hard to know what to say about this team other than, as Ross Stripling put it yesterday after his start, the 20. 22 Blue Jays will go down as just a very streaky team. They are indeed streaky. I am never been a big subscriber to the idea of momentum in baseball in particular. Um, as they say, momentum is only good as tomorrow's starting pitcher. But this Angel series was was obviously one that we had all flagged as like to your point specifically or exactly like this is where you can start to really make some hay. But then the circumstances that surrounded that age angel series are now it kind of set it up in a challenging way and as a lot of people talking about like it's a classic trap series so thursday night's game in boston ran late really late game get home late you know cross the border all that stuff get into toronto have to be there get get ready to face the angels the next day they get into mm-hmm. toronto like 3 a.m type thing by the time they're all getting back to the rogers center and going to their 
various apartments or whatever. It's like 4 a.m. So, yeah, that game, they come out on Friday and they don't look like they've slept much. We all know how that feels. So Friday was the tough, like tough. Was, so you think, OK, well, this is a good day. You know, the Blue Jays can pick up a win and, and keep rolling and, and keep you know scoring some runs. But of course, they didn't do that. Reed Detmers pitched uh, pretty well and the Blue Jays themselves pitched, you know, played poorly. They just kicked it around. They made a lot of bad decisions. Did Mitch White no favors ends in a blowout. But the Friday game is the one I think you come in thinking you need to get that game. Because if you don't win Friday, then you've got Otani on Saturday, which it's never fair to say, okay, the Blue Jays need to win every game or they should be sweeping these teams. So if you're going to win two out of three and now you've lost the first one, now you have to beat Otani, which is never easy. And it's not easy at all when he pitches as well as he did on Saturday, which I'm sure we'll talk about it more. And then now you're looking at Sunday and it's like, okay, well, now we need to win today to avoid a sweep. But they just can't or couldn't do it. And now there's just so many people asking so many questions. The word consistency is the one that, that comes to mind. Like, I hate it. I hate the word consistency. It's such a shorthand for why don't they win every night? You know, it got me thinking about like the Dodgers. So the Dodgers have lost five times in August and the Dodgers lost five times in July. They're a juggernaut. That is what I think what people think of when they think of consistency. Like when the Blue Jays play, is the effort not consistent? Is that is that is that the, the sense that, that fans get that there's not enough effort, that there's not enough execution? Like, sure, they did Friday night. They played really poorly. But I don't think it's a matter of consistency. It has nothing to do with consistency. They're not, it's not that they're not working hard. There were some, you know, some boneheaded moves, I guess, Friday. And then, you know, maybe Teoscar Hernandez running the bases on Sunday. But like, I hate that, that term consistency because it ends up being like, why don't they win every night? And if they don't win every night, it's because they're inconsistent. The results are not consistent because that's, they are what they are. The results are the results. They are consistently one of the highest scoring teams in baseball. That's their consistency. They consistently are above a significantly above average to the point of being like second or third or fourth at worst best offense in, in baseball. That's what they are consistently. Consistently, they have a, an effective relief core, as which I know is something that you've been kind of like kicking around in, in your head, you know, in the last few while. They consistently were getting good starting pitching. Like that's what they've been doing consistently. But then they don't win and it's they're inconsistent because they don't win every night. And it's a really odd and frustrating um kind of conversation that goes on around it which is so silly I, I, I get caught up in it I see people say stuff like oh they're <laughs> the big one so Gregor Chisholm of the stars writing was saying some stuff on Twitter and then people are like I see a team that they've given up because they didn't do enough of the about the trade deadline all these people talking about the trade deadline the Blue Jays didn't do enough of the trade deadline and the players are hanging their heads the players have quit because they didn't do enough of the trade deadline which is just so fucking stupid number one it's stupid because it's not true number two it's stupid because you can't make that assertion from your fucking house watching on TV. You're not taking the temperature of the room being like, oh, the boys are down, eh? The boys are not fired up. They're really mad. It's got to be the trade deadline, too. That's what they're mad about. Like, honest to God, who are these people? That goes back to, like, just because one time Jose Bautista said that thing years ago when the Jays didn't do anything at the deadline or something. And I feel like people have hung on to that. And it's like every single time a deadline happens and if they don't do enough, automatically the, t- the players quit on the team, which is not true. And they did stuff. They brought in Friday night starting pitcher. They brought in multiple relievers, one of whom has pitched like every goddamn day since the, since the trade deadline. They brought in a player who's effectively been an everyday player. 
player that hasn't really played very well, but that's neither here nor there. It's not that they didn't do anything. It's that they didn't get a name that you, this person making this comment on Gregor's Twitter knows. I don't understand. Uh, you and I were talking about this a little bit yesterday on Twitter, the, the comparison to 20, 2021 and 2022 and the offense. Again, that word consistency. Someone, you know, Gregor himself was trying to compare the Blue Jays this year to 2020 to the 2016 Blue Jays, which I don't think is an appropriate or, or applicable uh, com, uh, comparison at all. The 20, 2022 Blue Jays offense is fine. They're one of the top offenses in baseball. They have the exact same OPS plus as last season. It's actually quite, it's actually like a little bit better uh, by like two percentage points. I think I looked yesterday. It was up to like 115 and I think it was 113 weighted runs created plus maybe, or maybe, maybe I'm getting the stats mixed up and you were using OPS plus. They were both, when I looked at OPS plus, they were both 113. That was probably during the game yesterday. So it could have like even ticked down a tiny, tiny bit. But the point is, you have to take those kinds of things into consideration. You can't compare to 2016 where the team was aging, where the team was at the forefront or the team was the number one group of guys that were being exploited by the way that everybody pitches now, where there were no more fastball counts. And all you had to do is watch some of the broadcasts, listen to a guy like Dave Steve say that exact same thing when he goes on TV. When it used to be two and one, you're getting a fastball. Two, oh, you're getting a fastball. Three, one, you're getting a fastball. It's not true anymore. So guys like Josh Donaldson, who has obviously continued playing and still adapted, but Jose Bautista, Everdegger, and Carnacion, Toy Tulewski, Ross Martin, who were hunting fastballs, weren't getting them anymore. And that's why the 2016 team didn't hit like the 2015 team did, because all that stuff happened like literally that quickly. This team is not comparable to that. This team has one problem and if you ask me and if i told you what it is and and so before we say that you looked at like you compared month to month and, and in some ways month to month the blue this blue jays team is more consistent it doesn't have those same kind of peaks and valleys it has higher peaks i guess so when i when i saw that tweet of yours i actually was like oh let me look because just following the two teams i wondered if last year's team had a more i guess steady results like if if last year's team just had like almost all the months look the same. Whereas I thought with this year's team, we might see those higher peaks and maybe lower valleys. And they did, I did see the higher peaks. Like there was one month, I think June and July, they were really far better than they were in any month they were last year. But in terms of like the low valleys, like they're about the same. And if you looked at the year to year comparison, it was like the last year's teams are started slow in April. And that was kind of a similar story with this year's team. And then, Funnily enough, it's also been the month of August where the two teams really struggled um, and had less uh, productive results. But in turn, so and then September, it really turned for that team. And so that's I think I tweeted at you that like it it feels like it's going to be the similar story. Can they come out of it in September and have one of their best months of the season in September? And if they can do that, they're in a better place this year than they were last year, helped by the extra playoff spot. So last year in September, they were making it had to make up a ton of games. This year, they don't have to really make up any games necessarily. They just have to beat the teams that are in front of them and stay in the position or move up slightly in that wild card race to get the top spot. I think this team is at the point where they just want to get in. Sure, they would like the top wild card spot, but I think getting into the postseason is really just the priority at this point. When I looked at those numbers, I was actually a little bit surprised, not necessarily from the high peaks, but I I thought that maybe there would be a greater difference. I, I thought last year just was more steady throughout and it kind of was, but this year's been the the highs have been actually quite 
quite a bit higher. And it's not even been, I don't think it was that inflated by the month of July where they had that insane series against um, Boston where they scored 40 runs in three games. I think the month of June was actually the best one for them. And um, so, yeah, like it, that almost just doesn't help in a lot of ways because it just makes it more confusing. And I hear what you're saying about the consistency thing. And I th- I do think it's a word that like players and probably journalists like lean on uh, as a crutch just to sort of describe when a team goes up and down or when they kind of come out and they don't perform as they should against a team that they should beat. I'm sure that we sort of lean on that word a little bit too much. And I know that uh, along with the word streaky, that the the words that have described this Blue Jays team has been consistently inconsistent. I I think that is, as you say, more describing their results in that we're not necessarily seeing them always come out and, and win the games that we think they should win. But yeah, like when you look at sort of the individual components of the roster, while from game to game, there's always going to be a lot of variance. If you look again at like the month to month, it's not a huge, I looked at the bullpen recently and like April, they had a strong month. I guess it was May and June where they dipped a little bit. And then July and August, they've been very good. The starting pitching, I haven't looked at as much, but I would suspect that it's probably similar and that there's been good months, some less good months, but overall it's, they've been what you thought they would be. I wrote this in my article yesterday and it's like, you re- you realistically have probably two pitchers that are going to receive Cy Young votes or should receive Cy Young votes. I don't have a Cy Young vote, but you have among a top five offense, you have a good defense. I know they weren't good this weekend, but you have a good defense and uh, you have a good bullpen for the team that you've built. You have built a team that's supposed to be offensively strong and so you don't have a necessarily complete shutdown bullpen but you have a bullpen that is good enough for the team that you've built and you have as I say you have good starting pitching so I think that there's always more to it and I kind of probably unfairly just because we were in the scrum and and Ross Stripling was talking after the game and he described them as streaky and I probably unfairly asked him this and I, I think he I prefaced my question with I know this. there's no easy answer to this, or I know this is a hard question to answer, but do you know why you guys are streaky this year? And ultimately, he sort of talked a little bit about just the nature of streakiness in baseball, that it's a long season, it's a marathon season, and you're going to have these periods. And just overall, like sometimes the body feels good and sometimes the body feels bad. And sometimes when your body feels bad, it's hard to go out there and, and be at your very best. But ultimately, he kind of concluded with like, I don't have a good answer for that. And like, it's not for him to answer, right? That's not a question that Ross Stripling, a starter, has to answer. It's a answer. It's a question that the front office might have to deal with this offseason, regardless of if they make the postseason or not. Like, why is this team not necessarily been as strong as we thought they would be? Whether you want to chalk it up to streakiness or not, it's ultimately they have not been where we thought they would be in the sense that like they're not on pace for 90 wins at this point. I don't think they're on pace for above 90 wins. I have a theory, and it's also a bit of a be careful what you wish for. So we talk about the Blue Jays offense and we look at their inability to like how come they have they aren't even scored the runs that they feel like we feel like they should have been able to to score. You know, those that one series in Boston is nice. I don't think that it skews the numbers any more than than they're not all their numbers at Fenway over the last two years are so crazy that they skew the numbers a lot more than the people who now everyone's back to like the well maybe they what happened what happened in Buffalo and Dunedin is changing our minds it's like oh my god everybody's offense is down everybody's slow down but 
I think it's a matter of be careful what you wish for. And I think back to that series in Cleveland and Cleveland was hitting the ball. They were slapping it in one of the games. They were slapping the ball around. They were running well. They were being aggressive. They scored a bunch of opportunistic runs. It became that this that thing that people seem to really latch on to. They're like, Blue Jays, just swing for, they're all, swing for the fences or nothing. They're all, they only have one way to hit. And it's not true. The Blue Jays have the highest batting average in the American League by like a significant margin. They have, and they have a much, much higher batting average than Cleveland, for example. But where the Blue Jays have fallen down, I think, is in a couple of ways. Number one is the situational hitting has been glaring, I think, the situational piece, because they are getting people on base as they did all weekend, other than Saturday, as they did on Sunday in particular, let's say, against, uh, what's his name, Tucker Davidson? Walking people, hitting singles, just unable to drive in runs, hitting into double plays, which is something that's going to happen when you are Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and you're big and you hit the ball really hard and you do hit the ball on the ground a lot. Uh, side note, go and look at the all-time leaders in ground, grounded into double plays. And out of the top 10 or 15 names, I think all of them, except for Julio Franco, are in the Hall of Fame. Like it's Albert Pujols, it's Miguel Cabrera, it is you know, the best hitters in baseball history are the guys who lead in ground into double plays. Just a side note. What happens with the Blue Jays and when their offense has gone away like this is when they don't hit home runs. They've hit 21 home runs in August, which is... That's probably the lowest uh, of their month, of all their months. It's The only other low month was May when we were having a lot of these same, very same conversations, when we were wondering aloud what was going on uh, with the team at that point. Uh, before, Not before, of course, they went bananas. In June, as you said, they hit 50 home runs in June. And they hit 31 home runs in July, which, of course, includes the All-Star break. So they scored a lot more runs when they hit the ball over the fence. It's not any more complicated than that. You need to hit the ball over the fence to win games in baseball. The Angels did that all weekend. The Angels, when they needed to, to win, they hit the ball over the fence. They only scored two runs on Saturday. One of those, home run. Yesterday, home runs. Friday, home runs. That series against Cleveland in particular, home runs. Hit the ball over the fence, you win. It's not complicated. And the Blue Jays, who have been loading, getting getting guys on base, but when you always are hitting singles or, or when you're not hitting the ball over the fence, you put that extra pressure on yourself to capitalize on any and all runners on base situation. So whether it's the Blue Jays are somehow settling for singles or if their approach has maybe gone too far the other way, or if it's the way they're being pitched. I know there's a lot of concern about where, where and what's going on with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, who, you know, hasn't, I don't remember when, when did he hit a home run? He probably hit a home run in Boston, but like you need to hit the home runs and the Blue Jays have replaced Marcus Simeon's production with with Matt Chapman's production, which is in a lot of ways very similar, other than Matt Chapman is able to take a walk and Marcus Simeon is not, if you want to go back to 2021. So, but to me, that's the thing that that's the thing that's missing is, is, is not, is not the consistency of approach or not the consistency of effort. It's the consistency of like when they hit home runs. And as soon as the home runs start flying out again, and again, we're talking about a team that has got what five home runs from Lourdes Gurriel Jr. They have got uh, precious little home runs from Kevin Biggio, as an example. Danny Jansen, who went, who did a hit home run in Boston, but has now got 10 on the year. Kirk doesn't hit a lot of home runs. Uh, Bichette's home runs are way down, although he did record his 30th double. Was that in Boston? Uh, it's in the last week. He's got 30 doubles, but not as many home runs. You got to hit the ball over the fence. And it's what this talent team is, was built to do. And it's what they are in dire need of doing. Uh, actually, Vladdy hasn't hit a home run since New York. So he has not hit a home run in uh, in... 10 days, but 
he's you know still been swinging the bat relatively well just no home runs so i think that's the thing that to watch for and and it's not particularly subtle it's not particularly like in-depth and nuanced analysis when they hit the ball over the fence they are more more likely to win the angels who have a really odd pitching staff i think it's important to note who they shut the blue jays out on both friday and saturday they lead the american league at 16 shutouts and they are terrible Right? That's a bad team with 16 shutouts this season. I don't know how many of those shutouts are from Shohei Otani, or at least on in his starts that he got the ball rolling with it. I, I don't know. So that's a good segue. We can now talk about Shohei Otani. We've kind of moved, bounced around a little bit. So my thing is they need to hit home runs. I don't think that's a that's an unfair or desperate plea. But I think that as as they go, like almost every team in baseball, if when they hit the ball over the fence, they have a way better chance of winning. It puts way less pressure off everybody in the lineup when you can get instant runs like that. So I don't know. Am I crazy? Am I crazy to think that maybe they would be better off if they could just hit the ball over the fence? No, that seems like it's a good, I think in the, their best months, they were doing that a lot. And their success, sometimes they do succeed without scoring home runs i think it was a game the first game in boston maybe where they scored a bunch of runs and they didn't hit a home run and i think matt chapman commented on it and sort of in some ways that's good to be able to do that because when the home runs dry up you still want to be able to produce runs so in some ways this offense when the blue jays are at the best they're doing it both ways i think honestly like i think they're scoring runs because they're driving guys in with the singles, with the doubles, all that kind of stuff. But I do think you need both ingredients because I think when we saw they, – they've won some games because they've just hit two home runs. I mean, in that Cleveland series, that where there was that one game where I think it was T. Oscar and Matt Chapman that hit home runs, and that was enough to beat Cleveland, right? Um, so I think that the Blue Jays – can do it both ways and that's why they are such a good offense is they can beat you with that cleveland style of slapping it around sometimes and just driving guys in but when that runs out you do hope that they can run into a couple opportunities where they can do big damage and i think that's where you need guys like vlad and tay oscar and Bo and chapman to some extent although he's you know, he's delivered a lot of home runs this year. But you need some of those guys to just be able to deliver that damage-inducing shot sometimes. And it feels like lately we haven't seen a lot of that. Also, I was on the 3-0 and show last week with Eno, and he made a good point about Bichette that I don't know if you've looked into, but he made a good point about, I guess, the new ball, the dead-end ball. It doesn't fly out to opposite field as much and that probably has hurt a guy like Bo especially because at his best he is an opposite field hitter and we've seen him go the other way a lot and for a lot of home runs um, he's actually been he's a guy that can do that right like he can get those get those opposite field home runs just over the fence I remember him doing it quite a few times last year and he's done it He's done a little bit this year, but not to the same extent that he did it last year. And I think that's an overall thing with the ball. And so maybe that's something that Bo is going to go away with this offseason. And maybe he does have to sell out for pull power more often than than he is used to because he can do it. And we've seen him be able to do it. That's a tough thing with players in the ball where I totally get their complaints is that like, it's not just, oh, you change the ball, you change the ball. Like you change a ball, you change how a guy has to hit. And so for a guy like Bo, who's 
through his out his whole career he's been an opposite field hitter and that's his strength and he can do that well if the ball doesn't lend itself to that anymore then you really have to evaluate your style and if that's been your style since you were you know however years old that's tough to do in season so I thought I would just bring that up because I thought it was a really interesting point and one that you would probably agree with. It is. It's something that, that I know that, that we've looked at and we've talked about. Eno wrote something earlier in the season about the, about that, about the, the the lack of opposite field home runs and how it's going to hurt some teams more than others. Uh, Bichette, who who does have a lot of uh, a lot of power to the to the opposite field, who hit the ball over the fence a lot last year to right center field, and it's maybe feel, felt like it's it's dried up a little bit. That said, and, and again, this is maybe a bit of like my lying eyes sort of thing. Nobody has hit more like warning track fly balls than Matt Chapman. And I, I talk about approach. Matt Chapman has been adamant all season long about his very like middle of the field approach. And he's hit so many hard and deep balls to he had one yesterday. left center field, had one yesterday to like right in front of the track. And, you know, if he played in an even smaller or more homer friendly place than um, uh, than Toronto, he could he would probably have even more home runs but it, he feels like more than anybody like he's just the guy who has just had a little bit of bad luck and he's had a good year right he's had a lot of home runs he got 24 home runs this year the point is that it, it's just a, a sometimes it just feels like in that spot where they everything goes right except you hit the ball directly over the pitcher's rubber instead of sever so slightly to left field um and that's one of the things that's kept them from um from scoring at times and uh Jansen has had a couple of those too. I mean, I know he hasn't been hitting as well lately. Maybe he's coming out of it now, but like he had a few before he got that home run in Boston. It is something that that they just, uh, uh, you can't say, hey, you hit a home run. But as the ball flies out of the ballpark, as uh, goes the Toronto Blue Jays offense, and they're still a good offense and they're still putting guys on base. And they had how God only knows how many base runners yesterday. And it, 11? Just, yeah, but they just couldn't, they couldn't. 11 left them. on base. I don't know that if it's if it is a matter of approach, you know, like Vladdy hits the ball on the ground a lot. He's still doing it. He hit a pitch that easily could have gone out on the ground against Shohei Otani on Saturday. I was watching the at bats again. He had a great at bat against Shohei Otani. Showed a great approach. Hit the ball and stayed in on inside on a cutter that went out, and he had a double to right center field. Really great piece of hitting against uh, a very good pitcher. Which so you were saying you I don't want to put too much of your business in the streets, but sometimes it can be a challenge when you are working and you're look writing about the Blue Jays and there's so much going on that sometimes you can kind of not fully kind of sit back and take it in something like the Shohei Otani experience. So I've, I've long said, and I was talking with the guys on my baseball team last night about Mike Trout, how Trout is like, it's almost like quiet. You don't notice him as much. And then you look up and it's like, oh, Mike Trout was two for four today and he had a walk. And then it's like, oh, Mike Trout, did he do what happened this weekend? Oh, he was six for 15 and he had two home runs. And it's like, what? He did? <laughs> but he did. And that's that's Trout. And he's just, he doesn't slump when he's healthy. He is like 300, 400, 600. That's just, you just write it down, right? That slash line is going to have an OPS of 1,000. And it's just a matter of how many games you get out of him in a year at this point. But Otani is not like that. Otani is not quiet. There's not a single thing that's quiet about Shohei Otani. He is a freak. He is the best player I think I've ever seen in my life. And he pitched so unbelievably well on Saturday, just destroyed the Blue Jays, ran through them like a hot knife through butter, as they say. Just a completely dominant performance. And Alec Manoa was right there. Manoa pitched really well. He had his obligatory Alec Manoa hit by pitch. 
He walked one extra guy, uh, hit a couple extra guys, actually gave up fewer hard-hit balls than Otani, even though the Blue Jays on Saturday had a 131 expected batting average just because Otani was that good. And he he showed why he's that good. If you listen to the show and you don't watch the Angels often or you don't watch Otani, you probably remember me talking about the thing that Kevin Gosman, I wish that Kevin Gosman was doing, would be dot that his fastball down and away, like 96, 97, throw it in that down on the way, bottom you know, to right-handed batters, make it look like a, uh, the, the splitter so they give up on it. And Otani did that so well against the Blue Jays. He got so many strikeouts of guys just completely in their own head because he just has so many pitches and you don't know which one is going to come. It was the whole package, his, his pitching performance on, on Saturday, as good as advertised. And then he hit a home run on Sunday to the opposite field. Again, opposite field home runs, talk about freakish power. Unbelievable experience. And uh, it's going to look good when he's doing it every weekend in the Blue Jays and wearing a Blue Jays uniform next year. But for now, just kind of a thorn in the side of the Blue Jays after a great weekend series for him, if no one else. And the Angels. Well, and the <laughs> Angels. He carried them. Overall. He put them on his back and carried them. Even though that's not really he, true. He had a great performance, definitely. I, I feel like I noticed him more sort of walking around before the game. He's quite a bit bigger than you imagine. I don't know. Like you sort of imagine that Trout is big because he just looks like a big dude and he is a big dude. But Otani's got this like poise about him. So he's such a big dude, but he sort of walks very gracefully. And so I noticed him around just because he's followed by a lot of people all the time it was cool to see him but i I think that as you kind of pointed out like sometimes it's hard to multitask i mean you're in the in my job i'm constantly multitasking so it's how many multiple tasks can i handle at once and sometimes i try to like look up and take in some moments you know whether it's opening day try to take in some stuff to be honest on saturday i really took in the ceremony which maybe we talk about a little bit later 92 team that won the world series taking in moments i try to do that but i would say that this weekend i didn't maybe look at shohei enough because i then i thought to myself i don't know that i'll see him again i mean i guess the angels who knows where otani will go and he's he's not slowing down at any point so I'm sure I'll get to see him again but I think in even the Saturday game I was kind of keeping a closer eye on Manoa's performance to be honest Uh, I felt like that was sort of the bigger one watch how he does as opposed to how Shoei did I actually thought the Blue Jays started out okay against Shoei Otani and I think that he was maybe using his breaking pitches a little more more early on and there was that really good at bat by Bo I think it was like 10 pitches and he worked a walk and Shohei Otani early wasn't maybe locating like the slider as much as he wanted to. And I thought the Blue Jays were actually being kind of patient. But then, and John Schneider pointed this out, and you could kind of see it. Then Shohei just kind of went all in on the fastball, I think, and just sort of blowing by the Blue Jays. He was throwing 100. I think he threw 100 by Springer, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and Springer just turned around and walked away. He was just like, nope. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And so I think like that really turned the tide of the game. Like I thought early on, like the Jays look, I know the Jays have had good, some good results against Otani. Um, Vlad in particular has handled him well. And, and maybe that was Otani's approach or maybe whatever, he was going more breaking ball against him in the past and that wasn't working for them, him. But like this time it just seemed like he went, as you say, like all in on the fastball and and when you have a hundred, why not? Right? Like just if you can do it and you can locate your fastball and guys aren't seeing it well, 
that's a way to win. And and you knew that if he kept it just close enough, I mean, I know it was two nothing in the end because Anthony Bass gave up that home run right at the end, but basically it was a one nothing game. So they just needed one run to win the way that Shohei Otani pitched. And it's hard to do that against the Jays, but the way that their offense was going those last, those first two days of the series, like, but yeah, as I, as I say, I probably should have paid a little bit more attention. I, I, paid a little, I paid some attention. I paid some attention, but I just like, I was sort of thinking to myself, um, this morning, actually, like, you know, I, I saw Shohei Otani this weekend and I'm not sure that I sort of realized it until this morning when I was like, hmm, that was, uh, it was funny because I was before, maybe I shouldn't say this, but it's it's fine. But like before um, one of the games, I think it was Friday night's game, I was sitting with um, Sportsnet writer Ben Nicholson Smith and Shohei Otani like walked by us. We were sitting in the dugout and he was on the field. So he was like still at quite a bit of a distance. And, uh, you know, Ben was just saying like, there's kind of few athletes that, when you spend as much time in baseball, like you see all these guys all the time, like you don't really get like starstruck, but he honestly like admitted, like it's cool to see Shohei Otani. Um, Like you kind of are like, wow, like look at this, look at this guy. And I was like, I made a joke, like, you know how they used to write about like Greek gods and they're just like perfect human specimens. (laughs) Like, I think that's like Shohei Otani is like a Greek god. He's just, he's tall, he's muscular, but like still lean. I mean, he can do everything. He's like a Hercules or something. Like he's got this insane strength. Like I, it's incredible. Like, so next time, that's my goal. Next time I'm around the angels, I'm going to just take it in, take in Shohei Otani, make sure I recognize what I'm watching. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit DirecTV.com.
Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on Direct TV. Terms and restrictions apply. It's hard because you're working. You're there with a job to do, and you have stories you're going to write, and you write about the Blue Jays. You're not going to write about Shohei Otani. But the the one thing that I would say is uh, about his approach and the way that he went through his repertoire. If you look, so I look at, was looking specifically at the about the uh, bats against Vlad in particular. I used to when I did the newsletter, I would write about that. That was like my thing. I looked forward to. I would like break it right down. And you look, and the first time up, it was like cutter slider, tons of cutters, uh, like both one or the other. And then, as I mentioned, Vlad stayed inside and hit that hit one. Was that the first time up? Anyway, he he did a good job with that. The next time around, it was like he even threw him his sinker, which is something of a new invention of of Otani's. And then, but then the third time through is when he started giving him the splitter. He had kind of held back on it and then offered it up. Uh, you look at Otani's overall; he threw more sliders than he did fastballs in in total. But that seemed pretty typical for him. He he just feeds it kind of the first time through and really puts it in guys minds because then he gets away with them when they're not great he gets a, he got uh bichette with one that was like up it was it was you know the mark gubazov was like it reminded me of dave steve i don't think it was i don't think he meant to throw a backup slider like it was up in the zone and it started at his hip and then went in for a strike i don't think otani meant to do that that's a pitch that bobichette can drive if he's looking for it but you can't you can't go in there and look for any one pitch against otani and the other thing was also Number one, he's listed at 6'4", 210. He's not 210 pounds. We were t- one of the guys on my baseball team is like, who's a fit guy? He's like, I, he's like I'm 6'4", 195. He's like, there's no way that Otani is 15 pounds more than me. He's, he's like, he's enormous. He put on so much muscle last year. And I went back because this, as research for the show, that's what I do. And I was watching video of Otani in Japan when he's playing the outfield. He played, played like 53 innings in the outfield uh, in 2017 in Japan. And he had like seven outfield assists where he was just hosing guys all over the place. And he looks considerably skinnier, like not even leaner, like skinnier. His, his Everything, all the strength and, and work he's put in on his upper body, which is what he did after 2020 when he came to camp in 2021. And everybody was like, what the well, he is enormous and that and he's kind of carried that on and the other thing too was when i was reading old scouting reports and it's interesting to read scouting reports now from like 2017 they talked to baseball america talked to a bunch of like ex-big leaguers who played in japan who talked about what he can do and everyone was like yeah he's a freak he's it's it's ridiculous and it's it's not even like a cold takes exposed it's like i don't know if he can do both but i can see him being a really good pitcher in hitting he'll probably be okay but what he's done is not easy to do what he's done has never been done before so it, that aura and that like perception of what he is and how he's listed at six four. Every some guys were like, oh yeah, he's six five. Other guys are like, oh yeah, he's six six. He just gets bigger in your mind because he's just a. He's like you said, he's got that presence and he's also just such a like a gifted athlete in a way that that he's built on with all of his hard work to become this once in a lifetime person. That when you have the opportunity, I hope that some folks. We're able to appreciate it. I know it's hard, especially if you're a Blue Jays fan. You go and you see them; they only get two hits, and you're like, "This sucks." Sometimes it's going to be. You, hopefully, there there are moments in your life where you can put some of that stuff aside and like really appreciate something that is special, because that's what it is. And if you went to the game on Saturday, if you went to the game on Sunday, you saw 
stuff that you'll never see before. You've never seen before and you'll probably never see again. And, and I made a, I tweeted about it. Like the Jays had 130,000 people come through the stadium on the weekend. And that's, that's 130,000 people. They're going to have a story they can tell their grandkids and they don't even need to exaggerate. They don't need to be like, Oh, he threw the ball over the mountain and, and hit the 10 home runs. Like you can just tell the truth. And it is, it speaks to a really, 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 really unbelievably talented once in a lifetime confluence of incredible things and uh he plays on the <laughs> angels of all teams but speaking of special saturday the pregame ceremony celebration of the 1992 blue jays world series champions 30 years ago Whew, that's a long time pretty cool a lot, everyone who i spoke to and seems like a lot of the folks who were there you know in the, at the game or were covering the game said it ended up being a really really cool experience how did you find it i mean I don't want to age you, but you're not, you aren't old enough to, let's say you weren't old enough to have appreciated the 92 World Series. I don't even think you were alive. I was alive. You were alive. Okay. I was a baby. Very small baby. So what did you think? So I will admit, like, actually, my mom called me on Saturday morning, like when I was on my way to the ballpark and she was like, are you excited for today? And I was a little bit being like grumpy and like, been like, no. Like, I don't know. Because it's like, you think about, from my point of view, it was like, oh, it's going to be extra busy. It's going to be hard to get there. It's just going to be a normal day times 10 type of thing when normal days can be busy on their own. And so sometimes you're just like, eh, I don't know. It's, it's easier when it's just sort of a run of the mill game and you're not dealing with all these extra little things and extra availabilities and all this kind of stuff. So I would say that I was going into it a little bit like grumpy mood, maybe, um, just being, you know, tired in Saturdays or day games. So it's getting up earlier, but I will say like that mood completely shifted once I got going there and there was some availabilities with the um, players, Joe Carter, Pat Borders, Cito Gaston, Dave Steeb. So honestly, like I was a little bit like, I'm going to go up there. I want to listen to them, like see what they say. And by the end of it, I was like completely enamored. Like I didn't, so these aren't my, I didn't grow up with those players. I, the 92 and 93 teams are not memories that I have from watching them. There may be memories I have from people telling me about them. Like I know my parents, my dad especially, but like both my mom and dad were big Blue Jays fans, especially of that era. Like they were at some of those World Series games and growing up, even like being a kid in like 94, 95, 96, it was like those teams were still talked about for years on after. Like it was just such a amazing time in the city. I think like when I started to hear those players talk about how it just perfectly all came together in 92, it was just really interesting to listen to them. I talked to so many baseball players now and they're talking in the present about, you know, what they're doing. So it was actually really fascinating to like listen to players who had gone all the way and are now at a point where they like still reflect on it. And it's incredible. Like I kind of wrote this like in the piece that I ended up writing on Saturday, which, you know, I tried to sort of make not one-to-one comparisons uh, for, to this current Blue Jays team, the 92 team, but I did sort of write that the 92 team shows you that winning doesn't just happen, and sometimes teams have to go through a lot of struggles to get to the ultimate 
goal of winning it all. Sometimes teams need to pivot. They need to readjust. They need to change up their roster when things aren't working. And also, though, like 30 years on, those wins are still as sweet. Like seeing the fans just still admire that those 92 players like Joe Carter coming out, Winfield coming out and the convertible cars and like saying Winfield wants noise. And I thought like the whole ceremony was so well done from the fans, like holding the the signs and <clears throat> excuse me, holding those foam J's, which I know were a big thing. They had the cone heads and then like all the players coming out on those convertibles was so cool to see. I've never really seen that before. And then Honestly, like the ceremonial first pitch, which was actually like a reenactment of the the final out of the World Series with um, Carter and Timlin, like that was just so like that was just like the cherry on top. It was just like such a well done ceremony that it was like it was cool to see because, like I said, like I know what the '92 team did and I have appreciation for what they did, but I've never like heard the players themselves like talk about it and like what it what what it meant for them to win that World Series. And then like watching that the old footage that they played on the screen and like how crazy the Rogers Center was at the time, obviously called the Sky Dome and like the city and the, the sh- like it was just like Toronto truly was like the center of the baseball universe for that time. You probably can speak to it more personally. Well, yeah. I was of age, not of age to like drink. I was of age to be aware. And it was cool. At the time, it, it was crazy. So they had, the Blue Jays had this bad reputation of, of not being able to get over the, the hump. I mean, it's easy to forget that. So they had the big collapse in 1987. And then in 89, they were good. But they, you know, after they replaced their manager. And then they, in 91, they ran into... The Oakland A's juggernaut that was all pilled up. The twins did the twins win in '89? Was it they ran? Oh, sorry, into oh, you're right. The twins. The twins were the twins was twins were '91. They ran into the A's. They didn't beat the A's uh, anyway. And then '92 was the year that they kind of got over the hump, right? Yeah. The well, they beat the year. A's in the CS with yeah, the- and they beat Dennis Eckersley that everybody hated because he was uh, Dennis Eckersley and like who I have come to appreciate very much on TV. Shout out to Dennis Eckersley. He's retiring from TV as well doing Red Sox games. I, I think he's a hoot on, on the broadcast, but nevertheless. But they had that core and they kept it together, right? They, they I mean, they had no reason not to, but with Joe Carter, with Roberto Alomar, um, you know, and and they continued to to kind of move guys in and out. They brought in the the Winfields and the Cones and, and Ricky freaking Henderson in 1993. It was nuts. So like I went, when they won in 92, there was like, the big huge party in the streets and like i lived in new market of all places and people were driving up and down the main streets in new young street in, in new market and people were driving up and down davis drive and like high-fiving strangers and it was it was crazy and i was in i was in grade nine and like there was like some stupid school thing like a lip sync competition or something that like erupted into like a let's go blue jays just chant and like i i was a baseball fan from you know, I've been a baseball fan my whole life. 1985 was like when I was little and like baseball was like, like cemented into my apparently personality forever. So when 92 came around, it was, it brought still even more people into the Blue Jays sort of like fold, but they had, that was sort of the culmination of like almost a full decade of like being one of the top teams, spending more money than anybody, getting a new building and then selling it out. Again, obviously everybody remembers the 4 million fans. So it was really cool. And and obviously they were a great team. And 93 was a great team in a different way, a little bit, just because they scored so many runs and because their offense was so good. But 
Yeah, it's really cool. It's really cool to see that see the guys come back. Even like Winfield, right? Winfield hasn't been as like you know. You see Joe Carter. Joe Carter does ads, and Joe Carter's like around the team a little bit more. But Winfield is is you know someone who hasn't um, hasn't come as close or isn't as isn't around as as frequently. You see the you know the the guys that maybe be you know some of the players that did probably didn't get appreciated in the same way then as they would now. It was given the way that all these different stats and things that are available online. Somehow didn't appreciate Devon White enough, but just a, a, a great, great team and, and a lot of fun. Obviously, Alomar not there, you know, didn't doesn't deserve to be there anymore, but uh, did obviously didn't put a damper on it. I don't think anybody was counting who wasn't there or who, who should have been there. Just a really great opportunity to appreciate a really good team. Pat Borders, the king of the baseball lifers. One of my favorite stories is Pat Borders. So Pat Borders played in the big leagues from 1988 until 2005 including but then he kept playing after that he was he was playing he was in the Dodgers system he played at triple a for a little bit he was playing high a at 43 years old playing high a and they were like pat borders what are you doing and he was like i don't know i'd probably just be playing slow pitch if i was at home so i might as well just keep doing this and like i'm sure that they had to get him away from playing somewhere to come this weekend yeah, he plays like rookie ball as like a 45 year old yeah, why not? With like guys, he could be like literally they're 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 more than their dad. But yeah, it's super cool. It's super cool to see him, a guy who's who had a long career, but obviously was never appreciated or and had never had those that kind of that those kind of moments where because who who gets to be the World Series MVP? Current players have more motivations to win than watching archival footage. Uh, it's not like they're not thinking of winning the World Series. And then after after they saw those clips, they're like, you know what? Maybe we should win the World Series. Uh, looks really cool here. But, I mean, Alec Manoa said it afterwards. And uh, I, I do think it was kind of interesting, like, how maybe the players who didn't know, obviously didn't grow up in Toronto, maybe it was cool for them to see, like, wow, like, look at, look at this place back in 92 when it was really rocking. And, like, look at... You know, look at what can happen to this place when they win the World Series. I think I didn't talk to every player after, and uh, it was just Manoa that talked to us after that game because he was a starting pitcher. But I mean, he said like, "Yeah, it makes it." I loved watching it. Basically, it was it was cool to see. Maybe it gives you that not not extra motivation, but you're like, "Yeah, it would really it would be cool if we could do that." And so I really enjoyed watching it. I think the players enjoy. I think everybody there enjoyed watching it. Um, and. Uh, I am glad that by the end of the day, my my mood was lifted by watching that celebration. And uh, I thought it was really well done. And honestly, I think we just lost Drew. Um, his computer is being weird. So that's all we have time for today anyway. We were, we were at the end of our discussion anyway. So join us uh, later this week. Drew and Ricky will be back for another episode. Potentially they're talking about the Blue Jays turning things around. But until then, thank you for listening to another episode of Spin Rate for Drew, who has dropped off because of his struggling computer. And for me, Caitlin McGrath, join us here next week. And thank you.